It is, a, it is a joy to be back to share with you God's Word. Modesta and I have indeed missed the fellowship of City of Hope. We've enjoyed being at Grace past four or five months, uh, but it's, it's different. Uh, there's no place like City of Hope. And so we are excited, happy, and glad to be with you this morning. And so without, without further ado, let's get into our text, to the message for today. Let us pray. Lord, you are good, and your mercies endure forever. We thank you for the many blessings you've given us. And so we we ask that as we spend some time this morning reading your word and being encouraged about your word, that you would use it in our hearts, that you would use it to transform us, make us more like Christ. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This, this is Advent season. It's one of the days where the church takes the time to look forward, what, one, to remember the first coming of Christ, and to look forward to the second coming of Christ. And I think it's, it, it should be seen as a time of encouragement, uh, particularly... You know, for, for those that are waiting, um, waiting for different things. Advent season is about waiting, uh, waiting for the coming of Christ. So my encouragement is that let the Advent season not be a season of frustration, but a season of encouragement. Uh, to be encouraged that while you're waiting for earthly things, you're also waiting for that heavenly person. And you know that God will keep his promise and send his son to come back once again. And because of that, because of that, you can have confidence that as you wait for your earthly things, that that same God still cares for you. That same God still will keep his promise to look after you in spite of your waiting. Anyways, that wasn't a part of the sermon. That was just uh, something that was on my heart this morning as I was driving in. Um, the text for this morning is Psalm 131. And, and I do hope that we will be encouraged from this psalm, even as we are thinking about waiting in this Advent season. I'm going to go ahead and read it. It's a very short term, three verses. So if you have your Bibles open, Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, 
like a wind child with its mother, like a wind child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Spurgeon, when commenting on this text, said, this is one of the shortest psalm in the scripture, in the Psalters, but it is one of the hardest to learn, or at least one of the longest to learn. And Spurgeon is right. He is right that this psalm is, is hard to learn. It is different from the other psalms. You know, the psalmist in this, in this psalm does not, is not going through a motion of high to low. It's not saying, here's my life now, and here's where I'm going to be. We don't see a movement from a, a state of lament to a state of thanksgiving. We don't even see a, a state of, of just, not just going to thanksgiving, but just stationary of in pure lament, like we saw last week, in, like, like Dr. Lee talked about last week in Psalm 88, where we just pure lament. This psalm is different. It's, it's unique. It's categorized as a psalm of confidence. There's only a handful of them. The psalmist does not paint the picture of a man that is struggling, or a man that is weak. It doesn't paint the picture of a man that, that is recounting God's blessings. It is not a psalm of lament. It is not a psalm of thanksgiving. But instead, what we see is something that perhaps at first reading may be hard to comprehend. The psalmist tells us what it doesn't do, tells us what it does do, and tells us to go and do likewise. And it's like me coming up to you and saying, hey, I don't steal, I don't lie, I give to the needy, I give to the poor, and I go and do likewise. And I'm like, how do I do that? Or even worse, I'm trying. I, I'm trying. If we come to this psalm with that mindset, it would really be helpful. But what we can do is this. We can imagine a little bit. We can imagine the psalmist and the psalm differently from how we might initially read it. We can see it as a journey. We can see it not as a as, as a place that the psalmist has always been, but rather a journey that is on. We can look at it as an arrival point, a destination point, but not the departure. When we read it, even, even then, we, we, we perhaps can't even help but get the sense that the psalmist was not always as he portrays himself to be in this text. When you look over your relationships, we all have them. If you can think about one or two, when at the beginning it was really good, things were going really, really well. You guys were clicking. The future looked promising. And then, and then somewhere along the lines, cracks between be begin to appear. Somewhere along the lines, 
this relationship began to go south. You wonder what went wrong. What happened? This relationship that once met certain needs is now a source of bitterness. It's now a source of anger. And I think that sometimes our relationship with God is just like that. I think sometimes we have moments of bliss with God, whether it's our, at our conversion, when things were really good, or a moment when we, we conquered an addiction, or we received a, a blessing from God. And in, that, in those moments, God's love feels overwhelming to us. And we have moments of thinking to ourselves, man, God is good. And then somewhere along the lines, in our Christian journey, problems begin to appear. Trials begin to pile up. Pain begins to be present in our life. And we wonder, where is God? We say, I thought God cared about my circumstance. But now it feels like it doesn't because I can't see him there. I think if we, if we look at the psalmist in this way, we can get a better picture of what is going on. We can understand the psalmist a little bit better. The psalmist, I believe, is showing us the progression that is made in life. He's showing us where he is now compared to where it came from. For him to know, or rather, for him to know, for him to say that these are things that I don't do and these are things that I do, assumes that he once did those things. And it's very similar, I think, to when we, when we think of Paul in Philippians, when he says, I've learned to be content with much, and I've learned to be content with little. There was a process there. And so the psalmist has gone through this journey of life where he's experienced pain and trial like the rest of us. He has experienced troubles, perhaps even blessings and, and prosperity. And here he's telling us the secret to making it through those moments. Now we come to the text in verse 1. The psalmist says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I have not busied myself with things too great for me. What comes to mind as you listen to those poetic lines? Let's look at the first part of that. Of that verse, my heart is not lifted up. In my heart, the psalmist says, I have not been arrogant. Or put it another way, I have not been prideful. Do you know a man who has never been prideful in his life? Do you know a man who's never been arrogant in his life? Pride is the sin that, that affects each one of us and no doubt affected the psalmist. But he's at a point, he's at a point that he's realized how to deal with the issues 
that come up in life. It's realized how to deal with the issues that causes the pride inside of us to flare up. Spurgeon in his commentary, again, in commenting on this particular verse, noted that what the heart desires, the eyes looks for. And if I may to that, I would add that what the heart desires and the eyes looks for, the body acts upon. And that's what we see in verse 1. In this verse, we will see what I call a natural response, a natural response to pain, a natural response to life, whether this hurts, disappointment, even blessings, even prosperity, even good fortunes. And it is a natural response of arrogance. It is a natural response of self-importance. It is a natural response of independence. When pain is present in our life, when troubles is present, when disappointment begins to mount, we feel closed in. We feel confused and, and we begin to ask, we begin to say, we deserve more than what, we, what we're experiencing. We begin to say, Why me? Why am I going through this particular circumstance? What have I done to deserve this? And perhaps we may make a list of reasons why we shouldn't be experiencing the things we're experiencing. And because we believe that in that moment, what we're experiencing is, is not what we deserve, that can be seen as a form of arrogance. We believe that in that moment, we know what is best for us, and what we're experiencing is not what is best. And so our heart becomes arrogant. We become prideful about our circumstance. We say, this should not be happening at all to me. Or maybe perhaps it should be happening, you know, when prosperity abounds, and we've worked hard, and we look at our hands and we commend it for a job well done. We say we've earned it. It is ours because we've worked for it. Arrogant pride. These are the fruit of a heart that is infected by sin. And our heart responds naturally to those things. This is not a, a critique. This is not a, 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 a condemnation, rather. But it is, it is the truth of how our heart naturally responds to life. It's not just that our heart is filled with arrogance when it comes to pain, thinking we don't deserve it, or prosperity, thinking it is ours, we've earned it. The psalmist says, my eyes are not raised too high. My eyes are not haughty. The haughty eyes looks with others, looks with inferiority at others. The eyes that the focus is on self is the other eyes. The eyes that sees itself as important. It is a response of self-importance, self-absorption. It is a response that says, it is about me. We look at others and we start comparing ourselves to them. 
Why do they experience that and I don't? We can think of them perhaps as the fruit of the arrogant heart, the fruit of the prideful heart. That person has not been as faithful as me. Why do they get to go through life without any issues? Perhaps we say things like, I stay modest. I've been faithful to the Lord. How come no man or no woman are showing interest in me? Look at her. She's been around with many, many men. Now she became a Christian and voila, she gets married. Or perhaps she was we may say that I'm, I'm married, I'm trying to have a baby, I'm trying to uh, bring a child into this life, and it's not happening. I tried to, to go through other means, and I'm still disappointed. And look at her, she's 15. She doesn't even deserve to be pregnant, and there she is with a baby. The eyes functions that way, it begins to look at others and compare ourselves to them, and say we are better than. We deserve what they have. They don't. But it's a natural response that our heart would be prideful, that our eyes would look around and focus on self and be self-absorbed. It is also natural that, as the psalmist said in verse, the last part of verse 1, He said, I do not occupy or busy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I I bet once he did, though, I bet once he busied himself with things that were too great for him. I bet once he occupied himself with things that were too marvelous. Uh, What do we do when pain is present? We try to fix it ourselves, don't we? We expect God to help us, but God isn't there. So what do we do? We move to figure life out. We, we move to try to solve our own problems without God. We, we, try to, we, we move to solve things absent of faith. We make decisions absent of faith and absent of God. It is too difficult It is too wonderful, it is too marvelous to understand the inner workings of our problems without God. It is too wonderful for us. It is too difficult to go through life without God. It is too wonderful, it is too marvelous for us to occupy ourselves in resolving our pain without God. The age-old question, why evil? We try to solve these things without God. It is too marvelous to get answers outside of God. I should mention that the psalmist here is not, it's not just, you know, it's not saying don't pursue inventions. It's not discouraging aspirations. It's not discouraging expeditions. It's not discouraging research. It's not condemning any of those things. But what he What is discouraging is the fact that we try to do those things absent of God. It is that we look at our pain. We look at our troubles. And we wonder, where is God in this? 
And so we try to find a resolution. We, we move to act outside of God and confidence in God. And those things are too great for us. It is too difficult. I'm sure you've tried it before. Functioning in this life, day to day, absent of God, absent of a father who cares, outside of the dependence on a good father, is, is tough. The troubles are just too overwhelming. And I think even sometimes that is precisely what, what sends us away from God. It is because God isn't helping us, so we said, okay, I'll try to fix it myself. But the psalmist has moved from, the, from, from, this, from this state. And I think if the psalmist was here this morning, it would probably say that, you know, it took me a while. It took me a while to, to get there. And even when I got there, it took a lot to stay there. It is hard to go through life, whether it's prosperity or pain, and not have those response of, I don't deserve it, or I do deserve it. Why, why don't I have what they have? Why do they have what they, what they have? I can, I can fix this without God. Especially when we think of the Advent season as we wait. It's important to ask the question, how are we waiting? Are we waiting in frustration? Or are we waiting in hope? When we think of the struggles, when we think of the hurts, when we think of the craziness, the instability in our life, and we ask, where is God? Lord, where are you? And I hope, I hope from this psalm, from this, the experience of this psalmist, our hope is that we would be able in God's providence and in God's grace to move away from this natural response to what, what we can call a noble response or a godly response or a proper response. Let's look at verse 2. The psalmist said, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a wind child with its mother. Like a wind child is my soul within me. What comes to mind as you hear that imagery? What comes to mind? For those that have kids, perhaps you can understand this better than some of us or those who don't. The psalmist says, like, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a wind child with his mother, like a wind child is my soul within me. The, the noble response, the godly response to the troubles through, to life and, and all that it brings, the psalmist says is that I have calmed and quieted my soul. 
When we think of a child that is weaned, depending on how you go through that transition, it can be tough going from breast milk to a different type of food. Or there can be a lot of screaming and, and fuss. Even prior to that stage, as it as the child is going through the weaning stage, there's a lot of dependence on the mother. But as he transitions, the child comes to the point where he realizes that although things are different, although the food that I desire is different from, from, from what I have, although things are changing there is this confidence that my mother still loves me. There is this nurture that the child still receives from the mother, although the child no longer takes the breast milk. There is a trust in the, in the love and the protection and the nurture of the mother. There is a trust that comes with it. And the psalmist said, I have calmed and quieted my soul and put my confidence in God. This is similar, if we think of it, to Asaph in Psalm 73. He looks around and he sees the wicked prospering. He looks around and he sees that he himself, who is righteous, is not. And he begins to be mad. But then he went into the house of the Lord. He said, when I stepped into the house of the Lord, it all became clear to me. I was like a madman, but now I see their end. What happened with Asaph? Asaph calmed and quieted his soul. Asaph moved away from the distractions that was around him. Asaph took some time to think on the goodness of God. Asaph took time to ponder on who God is, ponder on the love of his father. Asaph calmed and quieted his soul. Asaph realized that although life is different for me, there is confidence in God. Although life is different, it's not how I would want it to be, there is a trust that I have in God. You know, how do you quiet and calm your soul? It's different for everyone. This is not, you know, it's not say ten words, to, you know, repeat words over and over. Uh, it's not find your happy place and things will be all right. This is pondering on, on the work of God in your life. This is taking the time to move your focus away from the pain and the disappointment and the hurt that is in front of you and putting your focus on who God is. And it's taking the time to reflect on the God that you serve. Some people do this differently. Maybe it's, I don't know, journaling. I hate journaling, so I don't do that. Some people, you know, take time, silent solitude. This is not to fix the problem, but it is to it is to move the heart and the eyes away from 
from the self, from comparison, from independence. It is to go back in and ponder and know that there is a God who cares about you. And he has cared about you in the past. It is to hope in the Lord. And in verse 3, it ends by saying, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And that's exactly what the psalmist did in verse 2. In quieting his soul like a child who is weaned with his mother, a child who, although no longer needs the, the milk of the mother, but yet is still in the care and the, and the nurture of the mother. To have confidence in God is to hope in the Lord. To place one trust in the Lord is to have this hope that the Lord has not forsaken us. So in verse 3, he's saying, go and do likewise. Go and come and quiet your soul. Go and have your confidence in God. Go and, and hope in the Lord. It's not easy, I know. It, it's hard. It's difficult. You've been waiting, but hope in the Lord. I know the psalmist would, would say it's difficult. Your body's breaking down. You're doing all you can. I know it sucks, but hope in the Lord. Trying to have a baby. Be doing what you can. There's disappointment left and right. It's okay. Hope in the Lord, the psalmist would say. You need a man, you need a woman, but no one seems interested in you. It's okay, it hurts, I know, the psalmist says, it's tough, but hope in the Lord. Your job, your co-workers, your colleagues, it's hard to get along with them. Things are tough, it sucks, I know, the psalmist says, it's okay, hope in the Lord. There's trouble around you. It's okay, the psalmist says, I know it, hope. In the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. Let us pray. Lord, our prayer is that we would hope in you. Even in this season of Advent, as we ponder in the coming of Jesus, our heart desires that you would come now so we can be freed from the instability that surrounds us, the disappointments that's all around us, the pain, the heartache. But in our waiting, our desire is to wait in hope. Our desire is not to be filled with arrogance and pride, saying we don't deserve what we have, or saying that we actually do deserve that which we have. Our desire is that we would not look upon others and start comparing and saying, why do they have what they have? And we, we desire not to attempt to fix our problems on our own. We desire not to live life independent on God. But help us to learn to calm and quiet our soul in the midst of the noise. Help us to take time and ponder 
on the goodness of God. Help us to, to go into the house of the Lord like Asaph and, and see the end that you have for us. Help us not to be swayed left and right by the streams of life. Help us to be sober-minded so we may live a life of confidence in God. A life that in spite of the blessings and the prosperity we experience, a life of in spite of the troubles that we experience, we know that we serve a coming king. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.